Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Good singing. If you are a guest of ours, my turn to, in, to, to welcome you. Uh, glad that you're here. Uh, we're honored that you chose to, to worship with us today. When I was a kid growing up uh, back in western Pennsylvania, I used to love Saturday afternoons. And if I could, I'd try to be home Saturday afternoon about 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock Central. Because 5 o'clock Eastern Time, 4 o'clock Central in my house meant ABC's Wide World of Sports. Yep. Love that show. Jim McKay, you know, started off spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. I love the coming on. And that montage would change over the seasons, but when they got to the agony of defeat, it was always the same. It was that same pathetic skier, you know, going down the ski jump, wiping out at the bottom and kind of going headlong, head over heels, you know, this horrific crash. Week after week, that guy crashed at the agony of defeat. For my generation, that, that phrase, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, that scene of that poor guy wiping out every week, that became sort of iconic. No, nothing epitomized the agony of defeat quite like that poor ski jumper. And that show was all about sports. You know, it'd, it'd have kind of mainline sports, but then it'd be a whole lot of off-the-wall stuff. You know, lumberjack competitions and, and ice boat racing. But it was all about sports. It was all about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. It was all about winning and losing. This morning we are in the fifth chapter of the book of First John, and today we're going to take a look at winners. In a world that's pretty much defined by winners and losers, John's going to tell us how to be victorious. And as you see on the screen, we've been trying to just pick out one thought, kind of one truth, as we've been going through these five chapters of First John. And chapter 5, we're going to focus on winning. Because let's face it, who doesn't like to win, right? I mean, we all want to be victorious. Right? Like the guy who's talking to his buddy one day at work, and he said, boy, last night me and my wife had this huge fight, but it finally ended when she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. His friend said, well, what did she say? She said, get out from under that bed, you coward, and fight like a man. <laughs> now, we all want to see ourselves as victorious, right? I mean, we all want to kind of envision ourselves as winning. John says, you can know. You can know that you're winning. In fact, John is going to tell us in the fifth chapter, you can know that you've already won. In the fifth chapter, God's going to do something sort of amazing. God is going to sort of take the stand, as it were, and God is going to testify on behalf of Jesus. God's going to become a witness for Jesus. And we talk a lot about our being the need for us to be a witness for Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5, God is going to take the stand and he's going to witness for his son Jesus. And he's going to do it in three ways. He's going to give us three ways and three testimonies. And then again, it kind of reminds me of the scoutmaster who took his Boy Scouts out in the desert to get them their survival badge. And while they're out there, he asked the boys, what are the three things that you need to have with you if you ever get lost in the desert? One little boy raised his hand. He said, well, you need a compass, you need a canteen full of water, and you need a deck of cards. 
And the scoutmaster was like, uh, okay. Tell me why you would choose those three things. The boy said, well, you need a compass to know which way you're headed. You need a canteen full of water to keep you hydrated. And the scoutmaster said, okay, I get that, but why would you want a deck of cards if you're out in the desert all by yourself, lost? The boy said, because every time you sit down to play solitaire, somebody walks up behind you and says, put that black nine on the red ten. <laughs> Everybody wants to tell us how to live our lives, right? Everybody has some advice for us on how to win in life. John says God has some advice for us how to win at eternal life. Message straight from God. So three things that we need to be victorious in finding eternal life. John says here's what you need. You need the water, you need the blood, and you need the Spirit. And he's going to talk about that in the fifth chapter of 1 John. We're going to go ahead and look at the text, and then we're going to come back and break it down a little bit. Uh, don't get intimidated by this passage. It is, it is really good stuff. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 6, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it's the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he's given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made any does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he's not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Again, we talk a lot about the need for us to witness for Jesus. Here in chapter five. God kind of takes the stand and testifies concerning His Son. Let me reread verse 6 through 8 in a newer translation. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by His baptism in water and by shedding His blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit also gives us the testimony that this is true. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. Do you remember when they arrested Jesus and they brought in people to testify against Jesus? And the people they brought in couldn't agree with each other. They couldn't even get their story straight. You know, they contradicted each other. There were false witnesses. God's testimony is in perfect agreement. God says, I give you the blood, the water, and the spirit. And they are in perfect agreement. The water says that Jesus is the Son of God. John is reminding his readers of God's personal word of endorsement concerning Jesus at the baptism of Jesus. 
You know, when someone is baptized here, we give them the opportunity to sort of go public for Jesus. To state uh, publicly in, in no uncertain terms that they believe that Jesus is God's Son. You remember in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus was baptized? Remember God sort of went public for Jesus as being His Son? At that time, I'm reading from Mark chapter 1, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Could you imagine being on the banks of the Jordan that day? And what would it be like to be standing there and watch John the Baptist baptize this Jesus from Nazareth and then have the sky open up, a dove descend on him, and the voice of God say, This is my Son? Would it have been something to have been there? John the Baptist was there, obviously. He'll kind of give us um, his recollection of the events in John chapter 1. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then John says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. By the way, God's testimony concerning Jesus wasn't for Jesus' sake. Right? Jesus knew who he was. God knew who Jesus was. Jesus's, or God's testimony concerning Jesus as a son was for our sake. God you know, sort of takes the stand and, and declares under oath, this is my son. But it wasn't just the water. First John tells us it was the water and the blood that was shed on Calvary. And the blood says that Jesus wasn't just the Son of God. The blood tells us Jesus was also the Savior of the world. John already said back in chapter 1, talking about Jesus' blood cleansing us from sin. Remember, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, some versions say continually, cleanses us from all wrongdoing. In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer in Hebrews is going to talk about the insufficiency of the blood of goats and bulls uh, taking care of uh, people's sins. And then he's going to mention Jesus' sacrifice and the difference in those two sacrifices. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Once for all time, he took blood into the most holy place, but not the blood of goats and calves. He took his own blood, and with it he secured our salvation forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ritual defilement. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered Himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Christ offered Himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. You know, there's a lot of people who are pretty big fans of Jesus until you start talking about the blood. Until you start talking about the sacrifice and what that means. And then somehow a lot of people seem to see Jesus as just, well, he was a really good teacher. And he was a great example. And he gave us some great moral guidelines. So, you know, he was a, he was a great prophet and someone that we should pattern our lives after. We should try to live our lives like Jesus lived his life. You know the problem I have with that? 
I can't live my life like Jesus lived his life. Can you? Can you live a sinless life? Can you go through your life and never sin? See, if I'm a sinner, which I am, I don't need a good example. If I'm a sinner, I don't need a moral compass. If, I don't, if I'm a sinner, I don't need a, a rabbi giving me wise teaching. Those things are all good and fine. But if I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And the testimony of the blood is that not just Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that Christ offered Himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now, you remember the things that happened that Friday afternoon when Jesus was crucified? The, 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 the curtain in the temple torn from top to bottom, kind of symbolizing our access to God. The sky was darkened. The earth shook. Graves were opened. All to witness the fact that the wages of sin had been paid. That the death had been overcome. What was God doing? He was testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world. You know, we, we did the same thing just a minute ago as we shared in the, the bread and the juice as we remembered the, the death and the burial of Jesus, that through the blood, He overcame sin, He overcame the world, the water and the blood still testify. But God doesn't stop there. God, God's witness gets even a little bit more personal. John says that it's the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. And the Spirit says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the Spirit is saying, Jesus is Lord. Let me look at a couple verses with you. Acts chapter 10. Uh, the Apostle Peter is talking to a guy by the name of Cornelius. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. The Holy Spirit testified that Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit is still testifying to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Consider 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We know this one. All Scripture is God-breathed. is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Spirit continues to testify through the inspired Word of God. In the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, all of which were perfectly fulfilled by Jesus. Coincidence? Or was God testifying to the fact, was the Spirit testifying to the fact that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Messiah? And then finally, the Holy Spirit testifies with our own spirit. It comes to abide in, in every believer. Acts chapter 5, we're witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Paul say in Romans chapter 8, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In fact, we're told in Scripture that we can't even claim Jesus as Lord without the help of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the question becomes, do you believe God's testimony regarding His Son? 
Do you believe the testimony of God concerning Jesus? You know, it's really pretty much the same question that Jesus asked his disciples that day. He asked, who do people say that I am? Then he said, well, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who spoke up and said, we believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, I'm convinced that when we really believe God's testimony about Jesus, God's going to do some pretty amazing things in our lives. When we really buy into what God has to say about Jesus, I think things are going to happen in our lives. God's going to cause some things to happen in our lives. Let's back up a little bit in 1 John chapter 5. Here's the first thing. Here's what happens, I believe, when, when, when we believe that God's testimony about His Son is true. Love is going to overwhelm the law. John says that when you begin to believe God's testimony about Jesus, you're going to be focused much more on love than you are on law. You know, we all know people who, who claim to be religious, but they don't seem to have much of a relationship with God. And they might know a lot of things about God, but they don't really seem like they know the heart of God very well. Seems to a lot of people, obedience is, is kind of a duty. Obedience is something that they feel forced to do. It's not a delight. You know, there are people in church buildings all over the world today, all over America. I don't know, there might be people in this church building who are worshiping today not because they, they want to be there and not because they're getting any joy from being there or encouragement, but they're there because they feel like they have to be. There's this scene in, in the movie Parenthood with Steve Martin where he's the dad and he's feeling very overwhelmed with being a dad. And It's a Saturday morning and he's supposed to be getting one of his kids to a, a little league practice that he coaches and they're terrible. And there's another kid that has some uh, emotional issues that they're dealing with. His wife is talking about things going on in the household and then she springs on him that she's expecting another child and, and he wasn't ready for that. And he tells her, well... My boss just called, and I've got to go back into the office this morning. And she says, back into the office on a Saturday. Call him back and tell him you don't have to. And Steve Martin kind of leans his head around into the room where she's standing, and he's putting his jacket on, and through clenched teeth he says, my whole life is have to. And I think there are some Christians who approach their Christian life like that. My whole Christian life is have to. Boy, what a sad way to live. What a sad way to exist you know, in your Christian life, feeling, I just have to do all these things. Too many people haven't realized God's testimony about Jesus and the freedom that that brings and the joy that that brings. Man, that's not the have to is not the life that God wants us to live. God wants us to live a life of freedom and joy. Look back at 1 John chapter 5. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is God's Son and your Savior, then you're a child of God. And all who love the Father love His children too. So you can find out how much you love God's children, your brothers and sisters in the Lord, by how much you love and obey God. Loving God means doing what He tells us to do. And really, that isn't hard at all. John says this is what loving God entails. It's about obeying Him. It's about doing what He tells us to do. And John will say, it's not that hard. Come on, it's not that hard. 
And once we hear what John is trying to tell us, what God is trying to tell us about Jesus, once we really start to understand that, we're never again going to wonder if God has our best interests at heart. We're never again going to wonder if God really does know what He's doing. If God really does want me to live a life of joy and a life of freedom. We're going to understand God wants what's best for me. And God knows what's best for me. This whole thing was never meant to be about keeping rules. It was never meant to be about have to. God's always wanted a relationship with us. God wants us to love Him. He wants us to love Jesus. He wants us to love each other. And John says, it's not that hard. It really isn't that hard. You know, I I find myself in kind of a strange season of life. I've never been this old before, so I'm kind of learning as I go. But I've found that I can't force my children to do anything. I'm not sure I ever could. But, but today, in my stage of life, I can't force my kids to do anything. I've got three kids. My, my oldest, uh, my daughter, is, she's married and moved away. You know, she has a family of her own in Nashville. We talk every day, and usually several times a day. And she still calls and she still talks and she still seeks advice. And of course, I'm pretty quick to give advice, but she's a grown woman. You know, she's going to do whatever she really thinks is best on her own. I, I can't force her to do anything. My two sons, they're both bigger than I am now. They're, they're full-grown men. I can't make them do anything. I can't make them obey me. I used to could, actually. I used to could strike fear into them. I could scare them. I could intimidate them because I was bigger and I was dad and I could just force them to do something. I can't do that anymore. I used to be able to um, outsmart them. I could manipulate them, kind of force them to do what I want them to do, and they wouldn't even realize it. But I can't do that anymore. They're too smart for that. I can't force my children to do anything anymore. The only reason that my children do anything that I want them to do, the only reason really at this stage in my life that we have the kind of relationship that we have with with each other, all three of them really, is because they love me. They love their mother. I love them. You know, our relationship with God isn't about fear. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations, intimidation, or manipulation. It's, it's about love. It's God's desire for us to be obedient to Him because we love Him. And we trust Him to know what's best for us. That's why God says, pay attention to what I'm trying to tell you about Jesus. And again, if the light bulb ever really comes on, if we really understand God's testimony about His Son, we're never again going to wonder, should I be obedient to God? Even if I don't understand it, should I live in God's will or should I figure it out on my own? Am I going to trust God to know what's best for me? That'll never be an issue again. Now, temptation, yes. Struggles, yes. But we're going to know God loves me and God wants what's best for me. Love is going to overwhelm the law. But then John promises more. John promises that that faith is going to overcome the world. This is God's testimony. Faith is going to overcome the world. You know, the world's a very dangerous place. I don't have to tell you that. Satan is, is very good at what he does. And those who overcome the world 
are going to be able to understand God's testimony about Jesus. Look at verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. Makes you think that John must have known the song we just sang, right? Faith is the victory. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John says it's not your faith in your family. It's not your faith in yourself. It's not your faith in your morals. It's not your faith in your doctrine. It's not your faith in your abilities. It's your faith in Jesus that's going to overcome the world. Now, I keep telling you how, how practical and how applicable this little book of 1 John is. You know, I tell people, hey, you want to, you know, I, I want to read the Bible. What do I read? Um, read James. Read 1 John. It's a good place to start. Go to the Gospels. John writes so simply and so um, openly in, in the book of 1 John. But that's not the only book he wrote. He wrote 2 and 3 John. We're actually going into those uh, in the next couple of weeks. He also wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. I don't tell people to start with Revelation. <laughs> Revelation is not open and easy. Revelation is not obvious. It's a tough book. No, usually we just stay right in the first three chapters of Revelation. But that's okay because there's some really good stuff in those first three chapters. In fact, in those first three chapters of Revelation, a book written by John, you're going to find seven letters to seven different churches in Asia. And toward the end of every one of those seven letters, John will write, To him who overcomes. Revelation is really about overcoming. Seven times. John will write, to him who overcomes. I've got a little pamphlet in my office that claims to be able to explain the book of Revelation in 30 seconds. So this morning, I'm going to explain to you the book of Revelation in 30 seconds. Here you go. It's only three points. Number one, you have to pick a side. Number two, Jesus wins. Number three, so don't be stupid. There. I've just explained to you the book of Revelation. You have to choose a side. Jesus wins, so don't be stupid. Now, seriously, kind of all joking aside, there is a war going on. And you can't remain neutral. You are going to have to pick a side. If you don't pick Jesus, you have picked a side. In all seriousness, Jesus wins. In fact, Jesus wins big. In fact, Jesus has already won. So, we need to allow our faith to overcome the world. Let's wrap up the book of 1 John. I want to do it with a verse. It's a verse that you need to underline in your Bible. It's a verse that you need to memorize. It's a verse that you need to share with your friends. It's a verse that you need to remind yourself of when you're trying to kind of remember what's really important. It's 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Read that out loud with me. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. John tells us we can experience the thrill of victory. We can win. We are winners. But it all comes down to this. What are you going to do with Jesus? 
It all comes down to what are you going to do with Jesus? Because he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You can be religious. You can be a great person. You can help a lot of people. You can know a lot of things. You can know a lot of things about the Bible. But if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Are you willing to believe the testimony of God concerning Jesus? The world needs a testimony. It needs a testimony of the water and the blood and the Spirit. And it needs your testimony as well. So when's the last time you witnessed to anybody about Jesus Christ? Well, someday we are all going to stand before God. And not a single one of us is going to be able to say to God, if Jesus was such a big deal, why didn't you say something about him? Because he has. And I am banking my eternity on the testimony that God has given about, about Jesus to be faithful and true. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Savior of the world, which is a great thing, but personally, He is my Savior. And He is Lord. This morning, maybe, maybe you haven't come to that conclusion yet. Boy, I would, I would encourage you to pray about that, talk about that, get some help in studying God's Word about that. Maybe this morning you're ready to claim Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, be baptized into Christ. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe there's just some things going on in your life that you really need the prayers of people who love you. Over and over again, in the book of 1 John, John talks about the, the church being a family, brothers and sisters, love that we have for each other. As a church family, if we can help you in any way and pray for you about anything that might be going on in your life, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium who will meet you there. Probably stand and sing.